This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. We're learning on uh, one of the best-known stories of all time. And many authors have talked about how unique this story is and how well-told it is. But also, it's probably one of the most misunderstood texts of all time as well, because it's been labeled, as you know, the prodigal son. But in the very beginning, in verse 11, uh, Jesus starts off by saying, there was a man who had two sons. And you start to quickly recognize how easily we misunderstand Jesus and how easily we misunderstand the gospel and how 
easily we misunderstand our own hearts and our own lives. Because in this text, when we learn about one son, we also learn that he has two sons, and this one son is lost, but also the second son is lost. And it hits home when you recognize how misunderstood this text has been, and it shows us how much we misunderstand the gospel and how much we misunderstand our own hearts. And all the more, you could even argue that this story is not even primarily about the younger son, the prodigal son. This text is primarily about the older one, the one who obeys the laws, and the one who is considered the ideal child. It's the ideal older son. And that's who Jesus is speaking to. And to just, just to comprehend over the generations of how uh, this story has been so well known, it's that misunderstood which only goes to show how much we misunderstand God, Christ, the gospel, ourselves. And in this, what you're going to learn today clearly is that the gospel is not just for quote-unquote bad people. The gospel is also for quote-unquote good people. That in your worst, in all the failures, and all the struggles, when you do the thing that you know you shouldn't do, you recognize you're lost. But what Jesus would have for you is to know that even in your best, even when you do everything right, even when you think about this past week, and you did your quiet times, and you read the word, and you... And you um, you prayed and you, you did, you, you fulfilled all the, 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 the to-do list of what it means to be a Christian. Even in that, you're going to recognize that you need the gospel. So how could it be that even in our best, that we are lost? It's because even in our best, there's a hidden lostness to our good works. And if you can see this, this is when you come on a Sunday thirsty of the gospel, not only when you struggled, not only when you did the thing that you think you would never do, but even in the week that you did everything well, that you come thirsty, that Jesus is still needed and beautiful even in those good seasons. It's the hiddenness, the hidden lostness of good works. Uh, so far, uh, we've seen the son uh, go to the father and ask the father for the property. And this is the thing that you would never do. Because uh, to ask the father for the inheritance, the property, in essence, you're saying, Father, I don't care for you. I don't care for your life. I only care for your possessions. I wish you dead so that I could have my goods, my money. It's a rejection of God, and that's what we learned last week. The essence of sin. The essence, essence of sin is not disobedience. It's a rejection of God. And he goes in this downward spiral of misery and despair. Not because of that sin, but because of the initial sin of rejecting God. And him rejecting God only meant he's going to give his heart to something else. And so his use of money, the way he spends on the things that he wants, is a glimpse 
that though he's rejected God, he's giving his heart to something else. And he can't help it. And that's us. We can reject God, but we continue to give our hearts to other things. And in this, what we recognize is that for the son, the younger son, his rejection of God is the primary sin, the hedonistic lifestyle. We assume maybe the drunken lifestyle, maybe the life of pleasure, the life of woman, whatever it would be. We think that's the wrong. But Jesus is very, very, very clear because everything else is general. We don't actually know what he does in this city. Everything else is general. The very clear thing is what he says to the father. Give me my inheritance. That's what I want. It's the clearest uh, understanding of sin in this passage is a rejection of the father. And so we pick it up in verse 25, learning of the older son, the one who does everything right, the one who is still by the father's side. He is the one that's lost in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he, called one, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. So how would you think that he would respond? His brother is back. You would think that he would respond with joy. Verse 28. And he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. How do we know that this son is lost? The way in which we know that this son is lost is in the first parable, the one that we read a couple of weeks ago. It's a shepherd that goes to find the lost sheep. Right? In the parable after, it's the woman looking for the lost coin. In both, both parables, the shepherd and the woman go out to find the lost thing. It's in this passage, the father, yes, he's delighted to have the younger son back, but it's the father that goes out to find the older son. And in this, you recognize that there is lost, and then there is lost, lost, right? There is lost, I can't figure out where I need to go, and then there is, you're so far lost, you're lost, lost, that you don't even know that you're lost. And we've all been there. We were driving on the road like, several years ago. Uh, we're going to this uh, retreat center. Uh, it, was, uh, we, it was a red day, a holiday, and so a two-hour ride should have been, you know, was postponed to be about a three- or four-hour ride. And so I'm sitting there in traffic with uh, the family, with the guest speaker. Uh, we're on the highway. It's bumper-to-bumper traffic. So I see this other road that I think, I think it's going in the same direction. I'll go on that road. I go on that road. It's open for a little bit, but then it's bumper-to-bumper traffic. And what should have been about a, a four-hour ride ended up being eight hours. Uh, the car couldn't handle that. It even broke down. Uh, as I was sitting in traffic, I recognized I was lost. See, that's lost. 
You think, make a wrong turn. You, you think, oh, well, let's try this out. You go a little bit and very quickly recognize, oh, this is not the way. I'm lost. See, that's lost. And then there is lost, lost. Other time that I was driving in Korea, and this is before uh, phones had GPSs, right? Uh, and so we had these, this big, like, you know, eight-inch you know, GPS, and it's hard to use. And so I remember putting in the address to go home, and I set it to go, and I'm following. And it's a two-hour ride, hour and a half, 60 minutes, 30 minutes, 10 minutes. I'm about to enter into my house when I make a turn and I see this big blue building. It's Ikea. I recognized that after I arrived, I put in the wrong address. You see, that, you see, that's lost, lost. You think you are going the right way, and only when you get there do you recognize you're lost. The younger son, he's lost, right? In the passage, we know he's lost. It's very evident that he's lost. He's far from home, right? He's out of control. He can't help but spend his money, and he's left with great needs. He's hungry. He has no home. He has no friends. You see, that's lost. We've all been there. You recognize that you are lost, and you recognize you need to find a way. And then there's lost, lost. And this older son is lost, lost. He's so lost, he doesn't even know that he is lost. And so he's so lost, right? But it's so hard to tell that he's lost because he hasn't left home like the younger son. He's at home. He's not out of control. He's actually very much in control. He doesn't have great needs because he's got things covered. He's got food. He's got shelter. It's very hard to recognize when you're lost, lost, that you're lost. He's so far lost that he he doesn't even know it. You see, you can be lost without losing control. You can be lost without having great needs. You can be lost by being responsible. If you can understand this element of our lostness, you start to recognize your great need for the gospel. You see, he can't, you can't see his lostness very clearly. But when you compare his heart compared to the father's heart, that's when you recognize he's lost. Because when you first read the older son's response, my guess is for some of us, that's actually how we would respond. Because in verse 29, he says, responding to the father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your, your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat I might, that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, the father, he's overjoyed. He sees the son from afar. He runs to the son. As, he's, as the son is sharing about what he has done wrong, he doesn't even let him finish. He gives him the robe. Right? He gives him the sandals. He throws a feast. He's overjoyed that the son that he has lost has come back. And what's the older son thinking? The older son's thinking, why are you celebrating him? He deserves to be dead. Isn't that what he's thinking? He has made his wrong choices. 
He has misjudged his steps. If he's starving and hungry and is left to die, he should be dead. Why are you celebrating him? What have I done? Can't you see what I've done? Father, I have slaved for you. Right? That word in the Greek, the NIV translates it as, he, I slaved for you. You see how angry he is. You see his resentment. You see his judgment. That's right. That's what should happen to him. That's what happens to foolish people. He deserves it. There is no kindness. There is no sympathy. There is no love. He's proud and he is selfish. You can, and you can only see that when you see the Father. The Father's done everything right. The Father's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He's full of love. Even for the wayward son. And that's when you start to recognize this man's sin, the older brother's sin. You see, he's home, but he's not home home. Right? He's in the field in the very beginning. He's home, but he's not quite home. The language that he uses is, this son of yours has come. He doesn't say, my brother has come. He's distancing himself. You see, he's family, but he's not family family. Right? He's not home home. He's not truly a part of the family. He's near to celebration, but there is no joy in his heart. There's music, but his heart, his body, it's not dancing. He's so lost that he doesn't even know that he is lost. He has no love for the Father, no regard for the Father. If anything, he should see the joy of the Father and celebrate the joy of the Father. But he doesn't even care for the Father's joy. He's got no regard for the Father. There's no love for the Father. There's no love for the brother. And this is why he is so lost. The reason it's so hard to spot hidden lostness is because it's tied up in being responsible. It's tied up to, to the very things that you do that is good. And it's these good works that blind him to the great need of his heart. It's a hidden lostness. He's so lost, that he, says that he doesn't even know that he is lost. And what's a deeper motive behind it? There's a, there's a hidden motive Right? He's not just lost. There's a hidden motive that he's not even aware of that drives him. It's the hidden motive of all good works. When you look at the response of the son, of the older son, you recognize what he is thinking, the way that he sees the world. Right? In verse 29, look at this with me. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when the son of yours, do you start to see the language? When the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Look what I have done. I have slaved over you. I wanted to celebrate with my friends. And notice it doesn't say, I want to celebrate with you and my friends. The father is left out of this ideal understanding of what celebration would be. 
I have my friends, and Father, you didn't celebrate this with me and my friends. He has no regard and no love for the Father. Life is all about him. He is what you call self-obsessed. Several weeks ago, we were in chapter 14. We were learning about the Pharisees. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees who are there at the dinner party see this man being healed. And there is no love. There is no celebration. There is no joy of this man who was sick and is now healed. And so Jesus, the way that he responds to these Pharisees who lack love, he doesn't just say, where is your love? He doesn't just just rebuke them, trying to help them see into their heart. No, he actually goes one layer deeper and he shares this parable. And the parable is of another dinner party. And he basically says, when you go to a dinner party, don't sit at the most honored seat. No, sit at the lowest seat. And in that, his point is, everybody wants to exalt themselves. Everybody wants to exalt themselves. You see, this older son, he just wanted to exalt himself. Look what I have done. I have slaved over for you. And he's probably true and right about that. He's probably been very, very responsible He's probably been waiting for the day in which his father would pass and he would inherit the land and he would be the rich man with power. And that's what you recognize. The evil is not the good works that he does. The evil is his own heart. He wanted to exalt himself. You see, the great sin of good work is not the work itself, but the motive that drives it. It's still about us. We do it for ourselves. And that might be your story. You might actually be an older sibling, right? And everything that you did, your parents were proud of. You were the son, you were the daughter that your parents would brag about. You went to the good school and you got the good job. But when you look inside your heart, what you recognize that your greatest need is, is that you lack love. You lack compassion. The life has always been about you, and it's only you. You see, before we mentioned the essence of sin is not disobedience, but a rejection of God. You see, there's two types of lostness. There's lost, right? I reject you. This is the younger son. I reject you in order to have my goods and have my life. Father, give me my property. Give me my share I want this so that I can live my life. It's a blatant, I reject the Father, I want my life. And then there is the more covert idea, where it's not a rejection of God, it's a using of God. I will use you in order to have my goods and have my life. You see, it's two different routes, but the destination is the same. It's always about you. You see, there's lost, and there's lost, lost. You don't even know that you're lost. Well, how do you know if this might be you? How do you know if you might be the older son who is so lost that you don't even know that you are lost? You see, younger son emotions are often misery. 
and despair. Those were the times when chances are you recognize your need for God. That's probably how you came to faith. But the emotions of older brother lostness is a lack of joy. Right? It's often anger. Anger and frustration at others. Anger and frustration, resentment against God. God, you didn't do this for me. You're always constantly disappointed with God. That's how you start to recognize that you might be so lost that you don't even know that you're lost because your relationship with God is often disappointment. God, you didn't do this and this and this for me. You're so lost that you're judging God, right? Both have no love for the Father, but the younger one leaves, in one sense, the church, says, I'm done with you. I'm going to live my life. You see, the other, uh, the other son, he's in the church. He does the good things. But in it, it's always about himself. It's always about herself. There is a fear of the father, but there is no love. He don't care about what God cares about. Because God cares about the poor. God cares about the needy. But you don't care about that. Because you don't care about what God cares about. That's, the, that's uh, elder brother lostness. You see, with with both of these, love and good works is always at ends. All the good works that you do, it doesn't lead to more love. It leads to pride, a self-obsession, and a judgment. And so all the good works are always at, 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 at odds with, with love. Same thing with joy. All the good works lead to pride, but not a genuine joy, a gratitude, a humility. And that's what we see with the older son. Look at all the things that I have done. He's so alienated from the father that he's right there next to him and he doesn't even recognize it. He's full of anger against the father. You see, he's separated from the father, not despite his good works, but very much because of his good works. You see, the great sin here, the most hidden one, is the one where you are God, and you have no need for God, and you have no love for God, and you judge God. And that's what this, young, this older son is doing, judging the Father for all his compassion and grace and love. Because for the older son, it's always about him. And this is when you have to understand what Christianity is about. See, Christianity is not about making bad people good. Christianity is about making destructive self-obsession into loving, joyful God-obsession. This is what's wrong with the world. This is what Jesus would say. Yes, we lack love, but it's so interesting that throughout Scripture, Jesus often talks about pride. As the main downfall of man. It's pride. It's this self-obsession. It's this me, me, me. It's so subtle. You don't think that you're all that bad. You recognize tendencies of frustration. What Jesus would say is the reason you lack love, the reason you can't love God and love your neighbor is because of your pride, self-obsession. It's destructive in very insidious, hidden ways. 
When you start to recognize that, you start to recognize how much you need God. You see, if you don't get this right, it's only a matter of time till you leave God. Because at some point, you will genuinely think God doesn't exist or God doesn't hear you. Because it's always about me. You go to church, you do all the right things, and God doesn't give you what you want. You get angry at God, and your conclusion is, he must not exist, or he is not good, fair, whatever it is. But don't you understand the whole premise is wrong, because you're going to God, and it's all about you. And that's why prayer, for many of you, it doesn't work. I know that's my struggle. I pray and pray and pray and ask God, why isn't this happening? Not understanding the very first thing that Jesus teaches about prayer is, Father, hallowed be your name. You see, the reason we think prayer doesn't work is because it's still, we have the paradigm all wrong. It's about me, me, me. Look at how many years I have served you. God, I've done all this for you. Why am I not getting dot, dot, dot? You see, it's a great warning for us. This is why this passage has been misunderstood for so many years. We always think it's only when we're bad we need God. But it's also when we are good that leads to pride, a judgmental spirit, anger, a haughtiness. It's in that season as well we we need to recognize how much we need grace. The great warning of this story is how easy it is for us as Christians to make Christianity a duty, a list of things to do, and slowly, slowly become slavery. And that's why for so many of us, we struggle with a genuine joy in our faith. There is no joy. When you pray, it's a burden. And you do it because you know you should. And the whole understanding of what God wants is to help you recognize life is not about you. You're too small. If you continue to live for yourself, you'll always find yourself empty. So he wants to take our selfish, destructive self-obsession and transform it into a desire worthy of itself, which is God. To give yourself to God. John Orberg, a pastor, says it this way, one of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. Isn't that good? We recognize that all the time. Right? We have one week where we completely screw up, your eyes are open, you want to do the right thing, and you have all these different rules and, and framework of how you're going to live your life, and you start to live it. What happens in about two months? You've been good, but you have no need for God. The way that Tertullian says it is this. Just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite heirs. One being licentious faith, the other being legalistic faith. Licentious faith is this. It's younger brother faith. You abuse God's grace and you cheapen God's love. Right? We don't know what happened to the story, but the idea would be then that the younger son, understanding, oh, my father is really compassionate, really gracious, and he does it over and over and over again. You abuse God's grace and you cheapen his love. And then there's legalistic faith, where you neglect God's grace 
and you cannot see God's love. And so your Christianity is a, it's a list of rules and duty of what you should and shouldn't do. It's hidden lostness driven by a hidden motive. And you are at the foundation. It's all about you. Well, the gospel comes in here. That God's love is not hidden. It's very, very apparent. The apparent love of the good father. You see, we've all met people like the younger son and older son, haven't we? We've all had seasons when we were like the younger son or the older son. But the thing is, you never, you have never met anyone like the father. You have never met anyone who is truly compassionate through and through, truly gracious through and through. You see, the way that we understand, guys, we continue to project our human, our understanding of our human heart upon God. So when we try to be patient, we think that's what God needs to do for us. He tries to be patient. He tries to be gracious. But that is not the Father. He doesn't see the sun from afar and think, all right, I'll give him grace one more time. No, he runs out to him. His heart is full of joy. And in the same way, when the older son is sitting outside the party, do you think the father's thinking, ugh, another one? No. He goes to the proud. Right? Pleading with them, come inside. Come inside. Come inside. You're my son as well. Right? His response is so gracious to the older son. The older son, he's justified. He doesn't come to himself like the, old, like the younger one did. He comes to himself. Jesus uses that language as, as, in one sense, repentance. He sees clearly. He understands logically. That he's got nothing. And the logical thing to do is to go back to the Father. He comes to himself. The older son, he cannot come to himself. He, doesn't, he can't come to a realization that he needs the Father because he's been blinded by his good works. So though he can't go to the Father... The father goes to him, pleading with him. And the way that it's written in the Greek, there's a constancy. It's an imperfect tense. And the idea is he kept on pleading. Son, come, join in the festivities. Share my joy. And when he addresses the son in verse 31, Son, you are always with me. That word in the Greek is the word for affectionate child. It's my child. You see, when, when the older son references his son, he uses a different word. But when, he ref, when, the, when the father references this elder son, probably a grown man, still says, no, my child, my child, one of nurture and protection. Son, you are always with me. The son misunderstands the unconditional love of the father. But this does not change his unconditional love for you. And that's the beauty. That's the gospel. You can continue to misunderstand God. It doesn't change him. He's going to behave and act the same way every time to you. He's going to continue to go to you. 
In your badness, he's going to go to you. In your goodness and in your pride, he's going to continue to go to you. And the story ends. Jesus doesn't give us a conclusion. It's what you would call a cliffhanger. And so many pastors and theologians have speculated, what do you think happened? One pastor thinks that the older son, the way in which he responded, because he doesn't hear the father, and says, continues to judge the father, and the pastor says, he probably took a stick and beat his father. You might think that's a little bit harsh, isn't it? But the reason this pastor says it is because that's what in reality happened to Christ. It's these Pharisees that, that, that's grumbling. It's these Pharisees that does not understand Jesus and his message of love and grace. It's these Pharisees that wanted Jesus crucified. And that's what happens. You see, the ultimate end of our good works is the death of God. You see, there's lost and recognizing, okay, I need to be forgiven. I need God's grace and mercy. And then there's lost, lost. God, how dare you do this to me? God, I cannot believe you allowed this to happen to my life. And you judge God, and, you, and then you consider him either non-existent or not worth your time. And that's what happened to Christ. He was crucified because of their quote-unquote good works. We're so easily blinded by our good works. You see, the three clear lessons I want you to walk away with is this, from the elder brother. Many of us, many of us don't know we are lost. My hope is that you start to recognize elements of it, that especially in your good seasons, that you recognize the pride that creeps within that you recognize that your good efforts and intentions only lead to pride and less love. But the other lesson that I think we're supposed to walk away with is not just that many of us don't know that we're lost, it's that we have no idea how lost we are. Right? You're lost, lost. You think you can still find a way back. You still think, okay, I just need to do this, I just need to do that. And if you think you can find your way back, if you think like the elder son, okay, maybe I just need to calm my own heart, I just need to, I need to reconcile with the Father. It never works like that. You have to recognize that the Father in this parable is one of a kind. It's a picture of God's heart, a heart not full of sin, not full of folly, but it's full of mercy and grace and patience. We cannot reconcile with God. This is why the gospel makes no sense to so many people. Because we continue to think, okay, I can figure it out. The world isn't that bad. Okay, maybe this political system, maybe this leader will help. And after generation, after generation, after generation, what do we have? We have present-day Korea, present-day America, this present-day world. The lesson is, we have no idea how lost we are, and that is why we feel like there is no need for the gospel. And so what's our solution? What's our solution? 
Is it to do more good work? Because I think for others of us, if we're thinking, well, if we are bad and we need the gospel, and if we are good and we need the gospel, well, I'll live here, right? That's what some of us would conclude. And then this is when we need to understand the gospel. It's not simply that we need to do more good works or do bad works to understand grace. You see, as Tertullian said, there is a different way, a path to Christ and a path to the cross. You see, Luke spends so much time in his Gospels about the Pharisees. It's pretty interesting. Some of it is about the sinner, yes, the tax collector, yes, but so much of his Gospel is about the, tax, is about the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law. It's, the pro, it's a parable of the prodigal son. This, one of the best-known stories in all of Scripture is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Many speculate why. I think one of the reasons that this parable is in Luke's Gospel is because he was a disciple of Apostle Paul. He did many journeys with him. My guess is he learned many stories of Jesus from Paul. And what was Paul? Was Paul not a Pharisee? Was he not the one that thought of himself, according to the law, law, blameless? You see, we recognize that in this story, there's a a cliff ending, you know, there's there's an end where it's, it's you know, it's, it's hanging. And we're, we're, we're at, we're, we wonder, what, how, does it, how does it end? And we know that in the real life, it is the Pharisees that end up crucifying Christ. But then there's someone like Paul. We're on the road to Damascus. Christ encounters him. And as Christ encounters him, for the first time, he understands his sin. For the first time, he understands how his good works, as he was blameless before God. Later on, he considers himself the worst of sinners. What happens? It's because he meets Christ. You see, the Father is the one who pursues And in Christ, he is the true elder brother. It's everything that this elder brother was not. It's everything the Pharisees were not. He recognizes in Christ, that's what he is supposed to be. He is supposed to be one who fulfills the law. Because the law is a fulfillment of love. But it's in when, when he finds Christ, he recognizes this is what I'm supposed to be like. One who understands the law the heart of the law, obeys the law, but does not end in pride, but is only humble, where he gives up himself, gives up his life for others. You see, in the gospel, when you understand the gospel, when you understand Christ, the true elder brother, there's no room for pride. Because you recognize he's the one that chases after you. And so there is no dichotomy of good works versus love. Good works versus joy. Because it's in Christ you recognize who he is. You see his love. Your heart melts. You recognize he's done this for you. And out of a response of, for Christ, you have good works. But it's always fueled 
by a love for God and a love for others. It's not about yourself. There is no other way for God to change you. It's not a matter of you picking, picking up yourself by your bootstraps and say, okay, this time I'll be good enough. Because every time you do that, it leads to pride. When you see Christ, the true elder brother, the one who truly did go after the younger brother, it's in Christ you recognize his beauty, his love for you. And when you see him, that's when your heart will come alive. and You'll desire to do good works, fueled by love, accompanied with joy. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.